Chris Adam, we had the amazing opportunity to speak with Marco DeSantis of Sugar Cult over Zoom video. Marco talks to us all about the first record, the first Sugar Cult record, Start Static, and its celebration of 20 years. It's been 20 years since that record has came out. He told us all these amazing stories about the album. He actually talked to us about how he met Tim and the other guys in, in Sugar Cult, how he was originally a bass player in a different band, jumped over and joined Sugar Cult just a few shows into their career. But Marco has some amazing advice to aspiring artists, stories about touring with Green Day on their American Idiot Tour, the story behind the solo on Bouncing Off the Walls on the Start Static record, and just a bunch of amazing stories and memories from the past 20 years of Sugar Cult. You can watch our interview with Marco on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. We'd love it if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Sugar Colt. This is all about you and your journey in music, and obviously I want to talk about uh, the 20 year anniversary of, of that first record from right of sugar cold start static. It's yes. crazy that it's been 20 years. It's still, every time someone says that out loud, cause we've been doing tons of press lately. And every time someone says that out loud, I was like, wait, you're not talking about my band's record. Are you? And then I'm like, <laughs> Oh shoot. It has been 20 years. <laughs> it's yeah. just so weird how it sneaks up on you. you know? it, I, um, I still remember seeing you guys for the first, uh, first time I ever saw you was in San Diego. You played at, this venue called Canes, which is right I, on the beach. I remember that. I remember playing it. We played there several times. And um, so, I, yeah, I remember exactly. It was kind of, was it walking distance to the ocean? Like, could you see? Yeah, of- it was like literally on the boardwalk. Like yeah. you, 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 oh, the stage faced the boardwalk and, and the sand out there. I remember it well. And I, <laughs> I can't remember who, do you remember who we played with when you saw us? I don't remember. I, I remember it was for a radio station called 92.1, which didn't last very long. It was like oh, an independent okay. radio station and right, they held right. the show. That's cool. Um, but I Which don't trip? remember who opened up. It was, is that where you're based? Are you down in San Diego or I was, yeah, well I was, I moved, okay. my family and I, we just moved to Nashville. So mm-hmm. we're in Nashville now. That's why I have nothing in this, this room yet. Oh yeah. I was going to yeah. say, I love what you did with the place, man. Oh, thank <laughs> very, you. Minimalist. Yeah. very minimalist. <laughs> That's how um, I live. But uh, dude, what is the deal? Like everyone, everyone is moving to Nashville from California. It's so, Dude, I, I know, know so that. many people, I know uh, but so I know, people. I know now, but I didn't yeah. know that coming here. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, like, I moved here to get away from California and California. Moved to- <laughs> yeah. No, it's cool. I think no, that's something. I love it. I bet something, I love Nashville. I bet something really cool is going to yield from all of this. Like it's going to result from, from this kind of influx of, I mean, California to be, you know, California, usually people come to California from elsewhere. I know so it's a very unique time in history that people from California are going into other places. So you're getting like, you're getting a, a, a splash of California in, in places like, in places like Nashville. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that affects culture. You know? No, totally. It's really weird. Cause my, all my, like half my neighbors are from California. They all just mm-hmm. moved here from California. So uh, directly across the street, they're, they're from like Malibu area. And I've got neighbors down the road from New, uh, Newport Beach and north of Sacramento, just like all over. It's weird. That's such a trip, <laughs> especially people who live by the beach. You're like, dude, if you're, if, 
if you're able to live in Malibu or Newport Beach, you would think that like, right, okay, you want to stay there. <laughs> I would stay by the ocean. <laughs> I mean, we're in San Diego, so we're fairly close. But I wasn't right. that close. I wasn't Newport yeah. Beach close. So, so you're freshly in Nashville, and and you're stoked. It's that's cool. Yeah, we love it. Well, we've been here about six months, but we are held up in an apartment until our house is done being finished. Right, right. So now. We've finally made it here, and that's why there's really nothing in this room yet. <laughs> I mean, dude, yeah, I, I know. I mean, well, you're, you know, we'll see how this interview goes, but maybe you'll be one more reason why I need to come to Nashville because I, oh, well, I, I, hope I, need so. to, like, I hope I can be one um, more reason. Like, so many, I have so many bros in Nashville right now, and it's just like, all right, well, I've, I used to enjoy going to Nashville when I didn't know anyone who lived there, and now it's a bunch of people there. So you're just like, dude, it'll, it'll be, it'll be fun to, fun to travel there. But yeah, uh, we'd love to have you. We have a, definitely have an open room for you. Nice. All right. All right. Cool. All right. Well, so, so you saw us at Canes, man. That's a that's a trip. Um, yeah, that was the first time I saw you guys. Is at Canes? I can't remember who opened because I went to see your band. You know what? <laughs> Couldn't I tell you who opened pretty, up though. I'm pretty sure it's kind of funny because there was this whole like we had this joke in our band where like any band that opened for our band ended up becoming like way bigger than us. <laughs> like we had yellow card open for us a bunch oh, of times. Wow. Okay. And they might've been on that show um, early on. And like, obviously before ocean Avenue blew up and all that stuff. Yeah. And then I'm pretty sure we had, and we had the plain white tees. Like would they, we couldn't get rid of them. Like they opened for every show we ever played. It was like, <laughs> and they would be the opening, opening, opening band. And then, Hey, they're Delilah. And they became, oh, man, they huge. just skyrocketed. The ultimate joke is we turned down Fall Out Boy like three times. They tried to, they like submitted to open for us on tour. And we're like, oh, I don't know. I, I mean, that's not really our... And they ended up becoming, I just saw them at Dodger Stadium the other day. Like, yeah, they're I know. Big. It's insane. They got bigger than everybody. Insane. You know? I know. Insane. So, yeah. I was like, you're, you're um, you know, whether you opened for sure, your slot opening for Sugar Cult or getting rejected to open for Sugar Cult dictated how big you got in the culture. <laughs> so, well, you guys had some huge success too. I mean, uh, don't, well, don't get me we, wrong. So. Yeah, we had, a, we had a lot of fun, man. It was, a, it was a really, you know, the time Start Static came out, it was just a really exciting time to just to be in a band, to be in music. I mean, if you really think about it, from a you know from a historical perspective and content and put it in context 20 years ago was also 2001 right and that was also like basically the dawn of this millennium you know mm -hmm. in this century so it was kind of like there was just a feeling in the air i can remember it really well really vividly like sugar cult was like uh, it's, you know you, you can't like it's kind of like you can't choose when you're going to be born you know, mm -hmm. you just are, okay, you're born when you're born and you're named what you, your parents named you. And, you know, right. I suppose you could change your name down the line, but like with a band, it's like, we happened to form in late, the late nineties in, in Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. And just about the time we got stuff together and started getting some buzz around our band, we happened to get signed the beginning of 2001 and put our record out that summer. And as it turns out, that was like kind of like every, I mean, today, 20 years later, we're seeing a lot of culture that resulted because of the way shit went. Oh, yeah. In the years of like 99, 2000, 2001. It really sort of set the tone for this century mm -hmm. so far. I mean, it's the century is very young, but like, I don't know, like at the time, you're just barreling forward going, all right, we got a record deal. Okay, let's make a record. Okay, let's go on tour. But now that we have the, 
hindsight 2020, like the benefit of being able to look back and, and maybe some objectivity where we can reflect on it. It's really kind of cool to think like our band, Start Static, our first record came out three weeks to the day before 9-11, which is completely crazy. Like mm -hmm. talk about a game changer. Right. I mean, uh, not to not to trivialize the the weight of that event, but like think about like I don't know how, I don't know how old you are, but like I'm, people I'm, can you, you people can remember what life was like before nine eleven, right, right, and ever since. It's not sure. like oh this little thing happened and then we just recovered from it and it's all good. It's like now people will probably say that 20 years from now about the pandemic they're going to be mm -hmm. like you know it's like these milestones that happen it was like 9-11 the pandemic and then Hopefully cross my fingers else. i don't even want to know what's next <laughs> don't even right, right. don't tell me <laughs> nothing else <laughs> but like you know it's, it's kind of like and i imagine if we went back 20 years before 9-11 something else you know you would have had let's see that would have been 1981 so MTV, okay. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so it doesn't always have to be a bad thing, but usually there's a game changer of sorts every mm -hmm. generation or so. 20 years before MTV would have been 1961, okay? That's what like, I mean, the 60s, the dawn of the 60s, right, which right, turned out right. to be a really like consequential era. Before that, you would have had the 40s. And that's like, you know, before that you had the 20s and here we are <laughs> yeah. again. You know, it's like, it's kind of a trip. It you really know, is. A hundred years ago from right now was when radio started, <laughs> you know, just to put that in oh, perspective. I know that is crazy. That's Isn't really that crazy? crazy. And yeah. like, that's insane. And that was a game changer too. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, we're, we're turning into a nerd, a geeky history lesson here, but like, no, but I, that's, that's so true. It's crazy <sighs> to think that. Well, it's a trip because, because you and I just radio is all we've ever known. It was around yeah. forever. And that's right? what I but, did for until up in, up until the podcast, man. I was on the radio for 16 years, and it's so, so that different. Was your career. Yeah, and it's so different like, now. <laughs> it's a trip, and now radio still exists, but there's podcasts and there's playlists and there's all right. these other ways people discover music, which it's is definitely awesome. not like the pinnacle thing anymore, right? I, I don't know. I mean, who knows? I think radio still maintains a. There's something about it that just feels like because it's been around for so long, mm -hmm. it feels official if you hear your song on the radio. Right. If you right, hear your right. song on someone's playlist, you're like, rad. If it's on someone's podcast, you're like, that's cool. If someone plays it even on like satellite radio, it's kind of like, oh, that's pretty but there's something about getting in your car and turning on yeah, FM like, and hearing sure, your song yeah. come on. And then you're like, All right, I've arrived. It's like my band, for example, like when we were when we were doing we were, you know, we got the warp tour, we got to make a record, we got to do all these things, we got to tour with all these bands. It didn't really like I didn't get the phone call from my aunt, in, you know, until we were on like, you know, the Conan O'Brien show. And once really? You, once you're on TV, then it's like, OK, wait a minute. Now, what's he doing? You know what I mean? Like, I understand like, now. It's been years. We've been doing this shit for a living for a long time, you know, but like. Right. So, so there are certain things like depending on what generation you're from, it's like getting played on the radio, getting on national on network television. Mm -hmm. You know, um, maybe being in a magazine like Rolling Stone that just kind of means you did it. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. Like uh, I interviewed John Nolan from Taking Back Sunday and he said, you know, Taking Back Sunday had been on the cover of like Alt Press magazine and they were like doing all these big things. And it wasn't until they were like in their local paper 
<laughs> like, right. his family was like, you may, you know, you're on the, you're in the paper. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, and I'm also on the cover did of this. You know your boy? <laughs> Karen, did you know your boy's on the cover of the New Jersey Gazette? You know, it's No, it's a trip, man. I mean, especially bands that came from like, you know, like Taking Back Sunday and our band, we all come from this kind of subculture that kind of, grew out of other subcultures that grew kind of out of punk rock and hardcore and you know i guess like whatever you would have called the 80s kind of underground touring bands like um college rock bands like the replacements or whatever oh uh, sure you know is it, 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 it's it's grafted from um you know its roots go back to bands that had to create their own luck and had to create their own network they couldn't rely on rape they didn't have a, a prayer of getting played on on radio other than maybe college radio right you know and you basically didn't have a prayer of like playing a legit venue so bands would play shows or backyard parties or little like all ages venues or whatever it wasn't like you know was there wasn't really a career path and luckily we were the beneficiaries of bands like nirvana and green day that kind of went through the forest with a machete and kind of cleared this unlikely path where underground bands could actually achieve mainstream success because before that it was kind of like yeah i mean if you would have heard nirvana three years before nevermind came out there's no you would have you know you wouldn't have bet your life on the possibility that that was ever going to get big because right. at the time it was just like Bon Jovi and all this kind of bombastic stuff that like you'd think of Nirvana, you'd be like, Oh man, these guys would be lucky to like play a basement show, right. and, like, maybe sell some like crappy merch and like get enough money to eat Taco Bell and sleep on someone's floor. You know what I mean? But they kind of turned all that around with, um, with Nevermind and then Green Day kind of followed suit. You know, they were like, traveling like a punk band for years yeah they did it for hit. a long time before yeah and they became hit. huge and that's also about the time you got like our singer tim is like a little kid in high school in i think he was in san diego for a while actually when he he, he, he was like an army brat so he moved around a lot but oh, I know he, really i didn't know that yeah i think he went to high school in poway actually did he really like, that's where i grew up <laughs> yeah so he what? you might know some of the same people but i know <laughs> his so brother funny. He, this we, we put this together later once we were on tour with these bands because we eventually toured with like Unwritten Law and Blink-182. Yeah, that's... him bonded oh, with Scott funny. and with Tom from Blink, Blink because they realized that Tim's older brother used to skate with those guys. Like, really? Like, no, it's yeah. so funny is uh, Scott from Unwritten Law, uh, he wrote the theme song to our podcast. I've, we've been family friends with them. Oh, that's awesome. Like growing up forever. And I actually, love that he guy. was on, he was at the sh your sh the show that you guys played at Kane's. Oh, no way. That's I, awesome. Yeah, I remember him being on the side of the stage when you guys were playing. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's such a he's such a sweetheart. I love that guy. Oh, he, he's a great guy. Um, and talk about feeling old. I remember when we played, I think we played with Unwritten Law. We toured with them and I remember we played in San Diego like his daughter, like his kids came to the show and his daughter was this little girl. He's like picking her up on stage. Oh yeah. And then like years later, I went to um, Japan. Me and Scott both got flown to Japan to like sort of guest DJ at this like weird club that they have over there in Tokyo, which is pretty rad. That's rad. And then his daughter was there too because she was modeling and she's like this grown woman. And I'm like, dude, yeah, you know, she's got a just, record out too. She, she and now she's yeah, now she's yeah. like a full on like artist and everything. It's just it's such a trip to see. But anyways, man, <laughs> um, 
small world. It's a small world. That is crazy. I didn't realize that Tim though went to grew up in Poway too. Yeah, yeah, he's school there. That's so funny. Went to high school there. Um, but yeah, so it's a, it's a trip, man. It, and his parents still live down there. Like he goes down to San Diego when he goes to visit his parents and stuff. So, um, How funny. but you know, it's like going back to like, it's to 20 years of start static. And I think about that. I'm just like, with all this history, you know, especially when you're young in a band, you don't fucking care about, you're not thinking about shit like that. You're just like, where's the, where's the, you know, where's the yeah, beer right, and exactly. what's going on? Where are we going after the show? <laughs> you know, you don't really have time to really like slow down enough to think about this stuff but the cool thing about time passing is you slow down as you get a little bit older and wiser and you're able to like look back and reflect and be like wow that's pretty cool that our that our record came out at that time period um god i hope it sounds good because you know i don't sit around listening to shirt all day long so you go back and listen to it just to sort of like check it yeah, out it, it holds sure up still, <laughs> and i'm like does this shit still hold up like i'm kind of nervous you know you're like and then you're like it's almost like that feeling you get when you like reconnect with an old homie like one of your old right. friends but you haven't seen each other in like six or seven years and you're like is this gonna be weird and then like within like half an hour you're like reminding each other of hilarious stories and you're you know having a couple beers and it's right. amazing right 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 or sometimes it's like awkward and you're like oh shit we've kind of grown apart like we this is kind of awkward like uh -huh. this, we used to finish each other's sentences and now it's like anyway dude so uh hold on my actually my wife's calling bro i gotta you know and you're like what happened to you, you know? so i was kind of like which way is my record gonna go when i go back and listen to it i go back and listen to start static i'm like i'm like fuck we made this record this is a pretty rad record i like this record this is Dude, it's better than so i remembered good. it it's like time has passed and it's kind of aged well and i hope that doesn't sound arrogant to say no it. not it's at all part of making but like it's very like you know it's very satisfying to go back and listen to music that you made 20 years ago and still be able to kind of sign off on it and be like, mm -hmm. wow, this is, this is kind of cool. And I'm so glad we captured that lightning in a bottle because you can also like, we couldn't make that record today. Like that record is an honest representation of where we were at as people, as musicians, mm -hmm. you know, as a band and like, that's the beauty of making records is you are making, let's think about the word, you're making a record. It's recording right. a moment and you're documenting it. And yeah, we could go re-record those songs now, but it wouldn't, it's like, it needs to be captured in its moment. And I'm just so glad we did it. And um, it's just a trip to, to it's, it's, I guess it's the closest thing we ever have to like time travel. It's like, yeah, like a, know, time kind of a time stamp. Yeah. yeah. You can put it on and it might, like evoke a bunch of memories mm -hmm. and remind you of like, you know, who you were hanging out with back then. And the same thing goes for more so less as a band and more so for people who grew up listening to the record. It's like life can move on, but you can go back and listen to that record and you can guarantee that the first song is going to still be you're the one. Uh -huh. And you know, that, you know, that pretty girl is going to go this way. Stuck in America. <laughs> And it's going to be just there. It's It's been there waiting for you, you know, sure. and then you go back and listen to it and there it is. And now it might mean a little different. It might hit you differently as you, as you've grown up or whatever. Like we have fans that are like teenagers when they discovered our band and now they're like in their thirties with like families and professions and houses. That's me. <laughs> yeah. And it's a trip, dude. You know, 
it's like you probably most people go through that that thing in life where like they like the stuff they like when they're a teenager and then maybe they you know they get in their 20s and they get turned on some other stuff and they sort of push that other stuff into their you know kind of their attic of storage and like ah that's uh, that's what i was into when i was a kid but then there's this weird thing that happens and i don't know if this has happened to you but it certainly has happened to me where you sort of turn a corner where you kind of you kind of go back and you realize like, man, I'm never going to be able to be that dude again, but I can, once in a while I can put on this music and it becomes like, not just a nostalgia trip, but like kind of access to a bunch of memories where it suddenly unlocks sure. a bunch of stuff. And it also just reminds you of a, you know, less complicated time in life. And it's, it's kind of, it's really kind of a cool thing that, that music can do. I suppose like, you know, I suppose a movie could do that. You saw, mm -hmm. saw a movie when you were like a kid and then you go back and see it again. Um, I suppose a book could do it. But I mean, most of us don't have time to read a book at all, let alone go back and reread a book. Re yeah, it's the thing with music is, is you you could hear, I mean, you could play Pretty Girl a thousand times. You know, you, you could have been listening to it when this happened or when this happened or, you know, there's so right. many other instances. Whereas like a movie, you're like, yeah, I watched that three times and. Yeah, you know, whatever. So it's, 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 I mean, music really is is special that way, and it, it's like it's almost like music and maybe like photos, you know, like or your Instagram feed. I mean, you like, you know, oh well, that was a trip. I did that, you know. But it's 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 kind of like your connection to who you once were and how things were. So it's just cool to be part of that story as a band and um, have made records. A lot of other things happened that year. That the first iPod came out in two thousand one. Oh. The, yes. The first okay. Strokes record came out in 2001. The White Stripes record broke out on the radio that year. Um, what else? What else? What well, Jimmy else? Eat World got Jimmy really Eat big World that Blue year. American, yeah. which had to be called Jimmy Eat World. Jimmy World, yeah. Eleven. Yeah. Um, like that was kind of a that was kind of a cool year, you know. And mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm, you know, we're we're proud to like, you know, be in that same class, you know, of all that other cool stuff. But you know, it's pretty. It's a it's a trip to think that like. You know, someone who's forming a band today, they're not thinking, they're probably not thinking in terms of like, man, what if I get to make a record? They're probably thinking more in terms of like, oh man, maybe I can get a song done or a, or like an EP and like get it on a playlist. And we were still, we were kind of the lucky last generation that got to like make a record the old fashioned uh -huh. way in a studio, make the full record with a producer and like have the record come out. And we sold like, you know, million you know whatever how many i, I can't remember how many we sold the start static like millions i'm sure a million records or something <laughs> yeah. on cd which is insane you know yeah. like they sold on cd people went to the store and bought it and shortly thereafter the itunes store kind of took over and people you know stopped buying physical copies of things although vinyl is up again now which yeah, is vinyls come back <laughs> unsurprisingly why we released a limited edition vinyl edition for the and it went like that yeah pulled out really fast i was like oh yeah, shit we should have made more but um yeah so it's kind of like we we kind of somehow were like the last i feel like we were the last band of last century and the first band and one of the first bands of this century at the same time we sort of straddled that thing and again it's just kind of luck of the draw that we happen to be a band that formed at the end of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st century. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of a cool thing to look back on, you know? Yeah, I mean, you guys have had a hell of a career. I mean, let's just say, not only that that record, but the two albums that followed it. You had big right, success well, yeah, Palm Trees and Power Lines came out yeah. a couple years later with, with Memory Memory was it. a huge hit. And then, I mean, to be honest with you, dude, like, I still feel like, 
lights out like our third record lights out the one that probably the least amount of people have heard is kind of our one that got away it's like it got the least amount of promotion because there was all this drama that went down with the record company going out uh-huh. of business and all this stuff but if you go back and listen to that record um lights out it's like it's kind of what we were reaching for like if you listen to start static i mean if anybody has this much time on their hands then I commend you, but like, maybe like, you know, break it up over a couple days. Listen to Star Static one day when you're like going on a run or going driving to work or something. And then listen to Palm Trees and Power Lines and then listen to Lights Out. And it kind of solves it. It's like a, tri- they're sort of like a trilogy. It's like mm-hmm. Star Static's like sort of young and scrappy and kind of trying to find sort of the awkward teenager that doesn't really know which group of friends to sit with. And then Palm Trees sure. and Power Lines is like, okay. Um, I think I know what's going on. And then I feel like lights out is the one that's like, this is what's up. Like, I love that like, record. I, I like Los Angeles. That song is so good. Oh, cool. I mean, a lot Thank of it is really good, but I, I really like that record to be honest. Yeah. Well, thanks. And, and I appreciate it. But like, I always feel bad for that record. Cause it just didn't get, it's like fair. Uh, you know, it was a victim of circumstances. Like there was a, a label that the company that owned our label, pulled the plug on the entire label without any warning. Um, and we had like four singles set up on that record and only one of them actually saw the light of day. So like oh, wow. it got into a single one, which was do it alone. The next one would have been Los Angeles. Oh, it would have been. Yeah. And then okay. uh, the next one after that was going to be either shaking or riot. And then the next one after that was going to be either shaking or riot, whichever did oh, so we have those all lined up like from the beginning it was a whole campaign the label was like super all systems go and then unfortunately stuff didn't work out but you know i i kind of in a weird in a weird way i kind of enjoy it because it gives our fans something that they can you know they can go back and like re- maybe rediscover like maybe mm-hmm. they thought well it didn't have a big hit on the radio so it must not have been as good of a record as palm trees or star static and then because they don't know all the drama that went on with the label right, the business right. But then they go back and listen to it. I have people all the time hit me up. They're like, dude, I, f- I found a copy of Lights Out. What the fuck? Like, how come that record wasn't huge? And I'm like, right. you know, <laughs> to me, then this is such an obnoxious comparison. And it's also kind of nerdy because most people probably don't even know. But like, to me, Lights Out was like our dear you. Like if you oh, hear yeah. that, like one of my favorite records of all time is Dear You by Jawbreaker. Jawbreaker, yeah, I love and that like, too. That was the record like in its day, didn't really get its fair shake, but like, you know, because other records were much more like celebrated and, and mm-hmm. sort of, you know, but then like through the intervening years, people have sort of realized like, wait a minute, Dear You is like a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> like, that record is so good. Yeah. But it's just, it was a victim of circumstances because it didn't, you know, they thought let's sign Jawbreaker and they'll be the next Green Day. And of course they weren't. Mm-hmm. And so they, they dropped them and that record kind of just got like, you know, buried under the. I didn't realize time. that because whenever yeah. I think of Jawbreaker, I think of that record. I know a lot of people do, but they like, you know, culturally in its day, it was a complete failure. <laughs> you know wow. what I mean? The trip, right? Yeah. yeah. Was it Sluttering? Is that, that, that's a great song. Dude, that whole, God, started. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. Um, well, so, I'm curious. I'm, I'm actually curious to know, did you grow up in, in, uh, in Santa Barbara or did you? Yeah, I grew up in Santa Barbara. Okay. Yeah. So you, you did grow up there. Yeah. So. And, I was the only one in the band who grew up in Santa Barbara. Tim moved there for college. Aaron okay. moved. Well, Aaron grew up in Ventura, which is like pretty close. Pretty it's close. like Santa Barbara adjacent. It's like 
Carlsbad in San Diego or something. Right, it's like, what, like 30, 45 minutes north Yeah, it's 30 minutes away. Yeah. And then Ben, um, I think, grew up in Colorado and then moved to Santa Barbara. I don't even know why Ben moved to Santa Barbara, but he he was out there, like, I think ever since, like, yeah, ever since he was, like, in college or something, like, too. Yeah. Were you band, guys, but, were you going to UCSB or something? I went to UCSB. The other guys went to Santa Barbara City College. City College? Okay. But, um... But they met, like, the band basically formed at City College. Like, Tim was taking some classes there, and Aaron, and they kind of sat next to each other, and Tim and Ben. I think Ben had, um, I think Ben, the drummer, um, he had, like, some, like, you know, home studio gear, because he's always been sort of that, like, recording type of dude. Like, he's into recording. Like, to this day, he's, like, a composer for film and television. Oh, wow. So he had, like, some ramshackle little studio gear, and he met Tim, and Tim was, like, that guy, like, I didn't know Tim at the time, but I heard these stories. Like he was like the guy who like would cruise around with like a guitar, you know, like and just go up to chicks, <laughs> just like cruise around with a guitar and like just go up and like start singing. Serenade him. <laughs> he was just like shameless, you know. And I guess he started once he started writing songs, he just like never just never turned back. And and eventually he encountered Ben, and Ben offered to maybe record Tim you know for like a bro rate or whatever like dude i'll record some of your songs if you're writing songs like you Mm -hmm. know and then i think tim like bit off more than he could chew and couldn't afford it like didn't have the money to pay for ben so tim when he was in high school he used to play drums so he offered ben like dude i'll give you my drum kit in exchange for like studio time oh wow and and he didn't realize it but ben had actually been a drummer years before but not really been focusing on drums and he's like, sure, dude, I'll take a drum kit, <laughs> you know? And, and so they sort of formed the band almost by accident where it was like Tim kind of owed Ben money. So he gave him a drum kit. And then since he had the drum kit there, Ben couldn't help himself and start playing along to the stuff Tim was making up. Oh, wow. And then they like, you know, they kind of decided to start playing together. And they found this guy, Aaron, who Tim used to copy his answers off of Aaron in, in like their quarter class they were in together. <laughs> and he knew he was a bass player and they, they kind of roped him into it. And it's, it's so random, but like they played this one show. It was their first time they ever played a show. And I happened to be there playing in another band on a different instrument. I was actually playing bass in some other band, some other mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of crummy local band. And um, we both like, we kind of met at that show. And it was like, I, me and Tim just sort of hit it off. And, you know, I was like, dude, you know, what's up? And he's like, dude, that was like our first time ever playing. I'm like, no way, you're, you have some good songs. What's up? Like we should... You know, we should whatever, like exchange numbers or whatever and like maybe mm-hmm. play some shows or whatever. And then Tim and I just like started. It was really organic. Like we would just talk on the phone. And then one day he's like, he kind of confided to me. He's like, dude, I kind of feel bad that we already have a bass player because I, I really like the way you like, you know, really like well, your attitude about music, yeah. you know, and your just vibe and, and everything. And I was like, oh, well, if your bass player doesn't work out, hit me up, dude. I, you know, I'm down to jam or whatever. And then one day, like. Maybe like a month or two went by and he calls me up. He's like, dude, would you ever want to try playing guitar? And I'm like, I mean, I sort of play guitar. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm like, I mean, everyone plays guitar a little bit. I started out on guitar and then I switched to bass when I was a teenager. When did you start playing guitar? guitar? I'm curious. When did you start playing guitar? I mean, I was like, I don't, it doesn't really count. I mean, I was probably like 14, maybe okay. I was like 13 or 14. And I had some like, you know, just typical 80s style, like just basic punk band where it's just like, you know, so it's not real guitar chords. playing. I'm not like <laughs> playing guitar. I'm just like pushing around bar chords. Okay. And like, 
Um, you know, of course, a little by little, I learned how to play a little bit better. And guitar was mostly just like a songwriting tool. But, you know, in the bands I would play in, I would generally identify as a bass player. Okay. Um, and, um, but then, I mean, honestly, dude, it's, it's, uh, I'm trying to make this too boring for someone who might still be listening, but like, no, no, this it's is kind amazing. of a neat story because I literally like, I got kind of an early start. Like I had been playing in bands since I was 14 and, um, I had a few bands before Sugar Cult that actually almost pulled something off. Like I'd get, really. You know, I had a band called Popsico in the nineties. And unfortunately, like two weeks before our first record came out, our singer died because he had gotten into drugs, which is really sad. Holy crap. Yeah. And we, it's funny because right now, the same year that we're putting out the sugar called 20 year anniversary of start static, this other label's putting out the like long lost Popsico record too. So it's like, Oh really? Which is kind of cool. Cause it never really saw the light of day, but there's this yeah. the music's like, again, you listen back to it. You're like, wow, this is actually pretty cool. You know? Um, and you played bass anyway, on that so I had some experience. Or with that band? What's that? What's you that? Played ba- you played bass with that band? Yeah, I played bass in that band. The okay. band I play- the only other band I ever played guitar in besides Sugar Cult was my first band ever, which never even recorded anything. We were like just like neighborhood kids playing like, like I said, just like really basic like trashy punk rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I switched to bass mostly because my friends were in this other band and the guitar players were just really good and I wanted to be in a band with them. It was kind of like that attitude of like. I'm good enough to be the striker on the C team or the like, you know, left wing on the A team. So right. like, let me like just demote myself from guitar to bass. Not that there's anything wrong with bass players, bass players. Sorry guys. Um, <laughs> so I can play with these guys that are so good. And I right. ended up playing with these guys for a while. This is like in high school. Um, and anyway, name dropping here, but one of those guys, the guitar player of that band is now the guitarist of the Foo Fighters. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so I was going to say, which one? Chris, Chris, yeah. Yeah. Chris and I grew up together. And, um, wow. And he actually, there's a kind of a fun story. If you listen to the song Bouncing Off the Walls, uh-huh. um, there's a shred guitar solo on it. Yes. That's Chris Shiflett. Is it really? Yep. Wow, it was my, I didn't it know that. It's a funny story. It was my birthday while we were making that record, because we were making that record in the spring of 2001, and my birthday's in May. And so we had like a little get, get together, you know, like, you know, girlfriend made me like a little birthday cake and we got some drinks and just had like a little sort of commissary area of the recording studio because we, we were working that day. So mm-hmm. we just had the band and just some of our close friends there. And Chris had, he joined, the, it's funny because about the same time I started Sugar Cult, Chris got the gig in the Foo Fighters. So we both had this like, you know, life-changing event happened the same year. Granted, his was slightly a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) life-changing, but still. um, So he was actually crashing at, uh, I think he was crashing at Taylor's house, the the drummer Taylor Hawkins. He was crashing at his house for some reason, which was in the valley near where the studio was, where we were recording. And I call him up and I was like, dude, it's my birthday. We're having some friends over, like come down to the studio and hang for a little bit. And he came down and when he was there, I kind of put him on the spot. I was like, dude, you should cruise in and fucking rock a lead, man. You know? <laughs> my birthday, you know, I kind of played the birthday card. Cause Chris is like, I mean, he's literally, when we were kids, he was a shredding guitar player. Like he is such a good guitar player. So well, he was in uh, no use for name for a while. Yeah. He was in no use for a while yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. And it's really funny because we had this, you know, we played together in high school. And then when he was in no use, I played for a little while. I played bass in this punk band called The Swingin' Utters. 
Oh, I know that. Or I, I don't know we them, both but went I know the to, name. Yeah, I, the I was like filling in for them between bass players, and we we went to oh, Europe wow. on a tour in Europe. This was before Sugar Cult. And me and Chris, no use for name and swing and others, like it was like a co-headlining tour and we shared a tour bus. So it was like, we're like, dude, <laughs> like we, you know, we grew up together when we were kids, played in band in high school. And here we are in Europe together. And then, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's, so I feel good. I was like, you know, I'm putting my ego aside and giving Chris the feature presentation on this solo. <laughs> um, but for me, it was like, dude, I like, I, you know, this, I got to have my, my bro on this and he That's did it cool. sort of as a gift. And it's kind of a cool story just to have, you know, uh, I did not know that. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah. So, so as it turns out, I'm not as good of a guitar player as everyone thinks I am. <laughs> no. uh, don't, but, don't kid yourself. <laughs> but anyways, uh, so that was pretty. That's a fun story about Star Static. But um, but I, I know I'm, I'm running all over the place here. Um, we so so we had a few bands that like were sort of almost happened. You know, a couple kind of things where I like, oh, I'm in the Swinging Utters now. Okay, but they were like just you know they didn't know what they were doing. And I literally got back from all that. I also played in the Ataris for about five minutes. You Did know, you really? Uh, I was going to ask you about the plaque because you have a plaque back there. for. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. I didn't play on that record, but they were kind enough to send me that record because Chris had, you know, he the day he moved out to Santa Barbara, I, I met him at a, at a punk show in this park and he just came up to me. He's like, hey, dude, my friend Derek said you're a bass player. You want to wanna play bass? And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, not without dinner and a movie, pal. <laughs> like, you're coming out a little strong. Slow you know? roll. You know, and, and he was like, oh, like, <laughs> Wait, hold on. What? He's like, well, I made this record and I just moved to Santa Barbara and we've got a tour lined up in a couple of weeks. And I, you know, heard you were a bass player. And and at, at that point in my life, I was like, you have a tour lined up. Okay, let's go. You know, this <laughs> sounds like an adventure, you know, like when you were, you know, that stage of your life where like your friends are like, dude, we're driving down to San Diego uh, or no, we're driving down to Mexico. You want to come with us? And you're like, you're like Yes. All right. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Don't you want to go home and like get your bag or anything? You're like, no, I'm good. I can <laughs> you know, just go down to San Diego. Down to, yeah, I remember doing that. Like, go to San Diego, hey, meet my friends. They're like, oh, we forgot to tell you, dude, we're going down to Ensenada. And I'd be like, okay. <laughs> you know, just get in the car. Like, don't even, you know, nowadays I'm like so such a domesticated cat. I'm like, well, where's the hotel? Right. How many stars is it rated? Um, is Send there anything else for you? Yeah. Back then, you're like, dude, I don't have any money in my pocket. I'm just, it's, it'll all just magically work out. The you days know? of being able to walk back across the border and just say United States, they're like, all right, come on, yeah, fine. <laughs> so that was kind of the attitude back then with touring. You just kind of like your friends were like, dude, we're going. I, I mean, I, I would jump in a van with like the Mad Caddies. They were a band from our hometown. Oh, I just remember jump that. in their van. They'd be like, dude, we're going to Tahoe for like five days, do some shows up north. And I'd be like, cool. Can I come with you? And they're like, sure. <laughs> it was just like That's get in the so car, awesome. go or lag wagon. You know, another band from our town. It was just the vibe back then. It was like small town with bands that were like doing. No one was making big moves, but people were doing like little runs of shows and just kind of a cool culture to be around. And it's, you know, no one seemed in, in my town and I'm sure in San Diego it was like this too. Like there's a vibe where you're like, you've got a lot of good bands, a lot of good players, but because it's not LA, no one really takes it that seriously. It's like, it still right. feels like just friends doing fun stuff just cause, you know, no one. It took like Blink feels- to really just Ex, you know, explode for it right. to really get the cred that it deserves. I mean, there's a bunch of huge bands from San Diego at the time. Oh, I mean, for, sure, for sure. And POD was is big and Unwritten Law and like, but it, it they it didn't. It was similar to what you're saying in, in Santa Barbara, where there's a lot of these because you're naming these bands that are you know big 
right for sure now yeah, you know Caddies, the ataris Lagwagon, nerf herder yeah like um, all those bands now are like big big things right. but like you said back then it was just at oh, the let's time just jump it was in the car. like a group of it was just kind of like a group of friends and a few of the people that were a little bit older some of the people that were a little younger coming up and i mean to this day it's a trip dude you got like the, the older brothers or like the guys in lag wagon that kind of went first and then the younger brothers the guys that were like the little kids hanging around they are now there's a they probably became more successful than anybody and i think it's because you learn from the people that come before you you know from sure. your predecessors there's a guy named nick long mm-hmm. who's like um co-written all that whole you know those like that new mgk record that's like kind yeah. of a pop punk record so he uh-huh. co-wrote that record and, a, oh, wow. and like produced part of it and he's done a bunch of other stuff this guy Jaden, this um uh who else did he do this girl king princess Oh yeah, I know that. That so Jaden is that of, with a DX? Yes, exactly, like, yeah, yeah. exactly. But my buddy plays drums with them right now. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So this guy Nick Long, who was like one of the kids in the Santa Barbara scene, and now is like he's just crushing the game as like the songwriter for all that stuff. That's insane. And then another guy, this kid Dave, who used to sing in this like they were like kind of like a really crappy like thirteen year olds version of Blink One Eighty Two. And now he's grown up to be this producer named Yeti Beats, and he discovered Doja Cat and produced her record. And wow. he's done like all this other shit that's become huge. Um, yeah, it's a trip. I think back to like the little grommets that were like sitting on the side because they were like 12 are now like just killing the game. It's so right. Awesome. That is so cool. That is it's a trip. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and it all comes from the same source. It, it, again, it comes from like the punk rock source where it gives you that feeling of like, if it doesn't, if it works or doesn't work, it's no big deal as long as you're having fun. Uh-huh. Um, whereas, like you know, the other attitude is like, well, if we don't have a song on the radio, then this thing's this whole thing, entire thing, is a waste of time and it's a failure. <laughs> you know. So for us, like once we started, actually, you know, we knew our band was much more like poppy and melodic. So we were like, hey, it's not surprising that they're playing us on the radio. But at the same time, we were like, we're not living and dying by whether or not we get played on the radio. So to us, it was icing on the cake. It was like, mm-hmm. Hey, they're playing us on the radio. That's so awesome. So now we can tour and get played on the radio and you know, awesome. You, you're already doing that. I mean, you're obviously already touring and, and doing that anyways, just like you said, the icing on the cake with the radio, but did that also, I'm sure brought more people to your shows. I would imagine. Oh, it was nuts. It was great. Yeah. I mean, you you know, you can't underestimate the power of radio just as far as reaching people and sort of legitimizing what you do. Uh Um, And uh, but I would say probably the the biggest thing that happened for our band in the right time was that we got added to the Warped Tour 2001. Really? Tell me about that story. So we finished making our record Star Static in the spring and then we got this um, email from our manager saying like, hey, I got you guys on the warp tour that leaves, you know, January or no, sorry, June 20th. I remember it was mm-hmm. June 20th in Phoenix, Arizona. It was the first one. It was and probably like 125 degrees. So, exactly. <laughs> it was, it was, it was literally 120 degrees <laughs> and we had to drive out to Phoenix to join the tour. And like, you know, you jump on this, uh, this big, like dilapidated old fashioned tour bus. And we had to share it with like two other bands. So it was like, 30 people on a bus. It was so crazy, but it was kind of rad, but, um, that's just how it works. And, um, so we got like 11 shows and we just played every show. I was like to the guys in the band, I was like, dude, you guys, this is so great because the Warped Tour literally happens in the beginning of the summer. Our record's coming out 
August 21st at the end of the summer. So this is like the perfect use of our time this summer. Mm -hmm. Just go out there and like, you know, hand out stickers, hand out, we got the label made us little three song samplers and we'd hand those out to kids. Like, let's just play our 20 minute set and just cruise around all day. Just promoting, like being our own street team, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, we're like, here's this, what's happening? What kind of bands you like? Cool. Well, here's our CD. Here's our sticker. You want to, you know, do you know any friends that you could turn, turn onto this? Take a couple extra for your friends. You know, we just like literally going kid to kid, state to state all over the country. We had 11 shows about a week in the guy who runs the warp tour, Kevin Lyman mm -hmm. came up to us and he's like, look, you guys, man, I'm getting really good feedback from, uh, your shows like people are saying they really enjoy like your band other bands on the tour are telling me that they like your band the crew and the staff the catering staff everyone thing from the lady who like you know slops your rice on your plate in the <laughs> catering line to like the dude who's in charge of you know stage managing getting peak bands gear on and off the stage it's like i'm just getting really good you're getting good grades across the board like you That's guys cool. are like you know, being, it's just one of those things. And we're like, we weren't like trying to be cool, but I just, you know, I always tell the band, like honey gets you further than vinegar. Like don't be, right. don't act like rock stars. You know what I mean? Don't run around the place acting like you're entitled to like special treatment or. Which I'm sure so many bands he's probably seen that have done that, you know, he'll give them a shot. And it's then a, it's just like it's a bad look. Yeah. yeah. It's a real bad look. <laughs> it's a bad look. Another, a friend of mine once said when we first got signed, he's like, dude, I'm just gonna give you one piece of unsolicited advice. He's like, just always remember you get to do this. You don't have to do this. And I was like, okay. I sort of didn't know what he meant at first. And then once I started going out there, I was like, I see other bands. I'd be like, God, that band's just like spending all their time sitting in the back lounge of their tour bus playing video games. And they could be like cruising around Paris, France right now. <laughs> like, what are right. they doing? Like, <laughs> you know, they're missing this opportunity that like, or they're just getting so used to it. Like, yeah, whatever. We're playing a festival show tomorrow. I got another festival. I'm like, mm -hmm. dude, you have to, you have to keep the romance alive. Otherwise it just, just unravels and just becomes like the worst job ever. You know, like here's a job you travel all the time and wait around all the time. And then, <laughs> oh yeah, I get to play loud music, the same songs over and over again, night after night. You know what I mean? And you only get paid if there's money left over after you pay your guitar tech and your tour manager and your sound man and you pay for all the t-shirts. everybody. Yeah. You're like, you know, it's, it's like, if you're not doing it for the love of it as a labor of love and as like a, as sort of a passion, you know, then I don't know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so like, that was just kind of our attitude was like, let's just be cool. And like, really like, you know, I mean, we're guests at the Warp Tour. We don't, we don't, mm -hmm. they have no reason to be nice to us. We don't even have a record out yet. And so we were cool. And they were like, they, they were like, look, man, we'll find a place for you guys to play if you want to stay on the whole tour. We're like, seriously? Wow. Okay. So it was such a gift for us. Cause like we were able to like be on the tour for like two months and go all over America and just like pass out our samplers and pass out stickers and play shows. And, um, and that to me, that is like the reason start static. That's probably the, one of the main reasons we're talking about start static 20 years later, that felt like the catalyst. Do you remember who else was on that warp tour? Um, yeah. I'm trying to think. 2001. It was uh, 2001. You had 311, um, yeah. Me First in the Gimme Gimmies, AFI, Sum 41, um, Newfound Glory, Good Charlotte, Real Big Fish. Um, who were the other big, big bands? Uh, was that like was that Rancid played? 
Rancid, yes, okay. Rancid was one of the main. Because I remember, yeah. like a couple a couple years in a row, it was like Green Day was on it, which was crazy. I think that was yeah. ninety, maybe ninety nine or no, I think Blink played it in ninety nine, and then Green Day made it played it in two thousand, and then I think Rancid was two thousand. It was right, like three right. years in a row where like these huge bands yeah, were like totally. headlining. I was like, whoa, you got Green Day? <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. I wish we would have known that year, but well, but, I mean, uh, we ended up that's still a rad year. We ended up touring with Green Day a couple years later in um, 2004. We got to open for them on their American Idiot tour. Oh, man, that must have been insane. That was nuts. And it was, I mean, you know, our singer, like Tim, had Green Day posters, like, on his fucking ceiling when he was in high school. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, they were like, you know, we loved, we were all loved Green Day. And, um, and I remember that we were actually on the Warp Tour 2004, we were on the Warped that summer, by the time, because we, we played Warped Tour 2001 when no one knew who we were. Then we came back again and did it again in 2002. And it was like, people knew who we were a little bit because we had had mm -hmm. Star Static out for a year. Mm -hmm. And then we went back 2004 when we had our second record um, had just come out, the one with memory on it, Palm Trees yeah. and Power Lines. And we were on the main stage and dude, on that tour, like if that was like one of those moments where we're like, this is fucking, this is, how's this real life? Like we're playing the main <laughs> stage, just see if people on the same tour that like basically started, like launched our band into, a, you know, mainstream existence. Like that's uh -huh. how people got to know Sugar Cult was the Warped Tour 2001. And like, here we are on the main stage. And while we're on the main stage, during the day, for about two weeks, we got a call from our manager saying, look, I don't want you guys to freak out but you're on the short list to be the opening act for Green Day on, a, on an arena tour for their new album. We didn't even know what their new album was gonna be called yet. And we're like, you gotta be kidding me. That's so crazy. Uh -huh. And every day we're just like playing the show and then on the phone with our manager. So we didn't find out yet, what's the deal? <laughs> Do we get it? Do we get it? He's like, dude, we don't know yet. They have to make a decision. They're looking at a couple other bands. I'm like, who are the other bands? I'll crush them, you know? Right, right. That's why I'm curious. Like, <laughs> and then one day, like, so that tour was just so rad because we're just, just even the possibility that we might get to tour with Green Day was enough to like make mm -hmm. it feel so like, dude, this is, this is crazy. This is so fun and kind of put a spring in our step. And like one day we got the call and they're like, okay, so they chose you guys. And we're like, no way, it's gonna be you guys and Newfound Glory. And we're like, and oh, Newfound wow. Glory was on that same tour on the Warp Tour 2004. So we go uh -huh. over to their like little bus zone and we're like, dude, I guess we're gonna tour together. And they're like, yeah, that's awesome. So we kind of, it was, it was just so rad. And then, um, yeah, we did that tour. It was, it was really something to see because that band had been around for a long time by then. You know, you have to remember uh -huh. Dookie had come out 10 years earlier in 1994 right and here and, we are and in 2004 and they and green day had like kind of i don't want to say they like faded away but they kind of like petered out a little bit like you remember they did that pop disaster tour with blink yes like, i do that sort of brought them back to life because in the late 90s they sort of you know got covered up by like corn and limp biscuit mm -hmm. and all that that was happening mm -hmm. more history yeah like when warning came out it was kind of just like yeah, it didn't really catch it was like they had Nimrod with the like Good Riddance, which was like a huge, obviously huge song. But right. after that, there really wasn't a whole lot going on with them. But, I mean, they had like, hits, but. And even Nimrod, it's like that song was a big hit, but that probably crossed Green Day over to like people who didn't even know what they meant culturally. Like people right. didn't hear that song and go, dude, I want to start dressing like Green Day now. Oh man, I'm going to form a <laughs> band. Like. The people who Green Day had that impact on, they got it from like Dookie and before. Yeah, exactly. So that so like 
there was this like sort of like you know period of and i'm sure they were still selling millions of records but there was this kind of moment where green day sort of felt like it was like this like thing that had run its course mm-hmm. and then american idiot was kind of like i remember hearing it before it came out me and tim were in new york and we were having a meeting at not at mtv but you remember this thing called fuse there was that other oh show? yeah yeah so I we did. were at fuse and the girl who ran fuse was like she was she was always really sweet to us and she's like do you guys want to do you guys want to come in my office and listen to the new green day and we're like <laughs> I played it for you. We go in there and she played us like three songs. She played like American Idiot and um, the one that sounds like Wonderwall by Oasis. What's that one again? Um, oh, um, yeah. I, I, yeah. The, wake me up. Maybe wake me wake up. Wake me up. Yeah, there's yeah. that one, but there's 21 Gun. I don't remember. I know what yeah, you're so talking about. I and then she the played, name. I think, Holiday or something like that. And okay. we were just like, me and Tim looked at each other. We're like, dude, this shit's going to be huge. It's almost mm-hmm. like, I bet, I was like, if this was a stock, I'd be buying it. Like this is so <laughs> right, nuts. This right. is, like I was like, this shit is gonna be huge. It's so good. It's so much better than it needs to be this late into their career. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, um, you know, we started that tour with them playing arenas and the arena would be like, sort of like they put the curtain so it wouldn't look quite as, so it would look still look full, but oh. you could tell it wasn't like full capacity. Uh-huh. And then the song American Idiot started blowing up on the radio and their shows just got bigger and bigger to the point where by the end of that tour, we were like playing the Long Beach Arena, just like, Whoa. it was really cool to see. Same thing happened when we toured with Unwritten Law. We went out on tour with them right when Elva came, is it called Elva? That record? Yeah. Elva. Right when that first came out, and like at first the shows were kind of like, oh, that band in law, I remember them from like back in the day. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden it just, the shows were like lying around the block packed. And that's oh, when Seen Red, Red yeah. Yeah. became a huge hit. So again, there's your power of radio right there. That's crazy. You know? That is so and crazy. So we were, yeah, we were on tour with Unwritten Law when Seen Red hit. We were on tour with Green Day when American Idiot hit. And we were actually on tour with Good Charlotte when um lifestyles of the rich and famous um so we got to see that happen to bands a couple times and then it actually happened to us because we were on tour with the ataris doing like sort of like they were they were headlining and we were playing right before them Uh and then our song started uh it must have been bouncing off the walls i think bouncing off the walls is weird because it got released twice it first got released to like rock radio then it got released to pop radio and we were on tour with, with the Ataris, and all of a sudden the crowd started getting bigger for us than they were for the Ataris. Like oh, halfway through that tour, it was like you feel it. it that's where radio, radio does like have that. some, you know, sway. Oh, yeah. It's a sure. trip to see. But wow. um, anyway, man, was that I, the, I the, can go on and on. <laughs> no, that's so cool. I, I mean, that's what I want to know. Like, this is crazy. That's so awesome to There's hear so these many stories. stories. <laughs> yeah, I you love know, 20 it. years. So, well, I mean, 20 years later, you obviously are doing the the record, but are you guys, do you have any plans to do anything together? Man, I wish I could tell you we did. I wish I could say we have plans. Um, We have the desire, Uh but it's just so hard to, you know, that's the problem with our band is like, we kind of took this break. And once you lose the momentum, then it becomes very, you know, everyone sort of burrowed into their domestic lives. We all started raising families and sure. doing other things. And Tim, um, actually our singer, he became, he found like kind of a, 
success as a producer. So he's right, like yeah, he, producing he's produced records, a bunch of yeah or, things I mean, that have blown up huge, and like yeah. he co-writes and produces these records, and they and it's like we keep saying like, well, when Tim hits a dry spell, maybe we'll get back <laughs> and do another do, do a victory lap or maybe do something. Yeah, and he keeps fucking getting another hit. So. Yeah. Uh, didn't he just do? I think he just did another hit for like uh, Alec Benjamin or somebody like. Yeah, random exactly. Like that. He did. You know, he, he did a couple songs off that that Van Weezer record. He did a couple songs off that last Blink One Eighty Two record. Oh, yeah. He had a couple um, of nine. And he, two of the hits, I think, uh, were his on. Uh, yeah, he well, he co-wrote them and produced. Yeah. I, I think uh, Happy Days and I can't remember the name. Blame of it on my youth. I think was the yes, other one. exactly, yeah. exactly. And Which then is on like the, the first record, hit. Um, Louise Records actually a pretty fun story because he actually did a song. Um, he did a, he went and wrote some songs with Rivers, and then like nothing came of it. And he was kind of I was like, dude, so what happened? You got to work with Rivers from Weezer. He's like, oh, dude, it was so crazy, and he was so nervous because he had never really he, he you know he had mostly produced like what they call baby bands, you know, like new bands that are like he yeah. done Walk the Moon, Shut Up Neon the Trees, like Neon Trees. So at, th at that you know. He's the grown up in the room when they're in there because they're like, right. Dude, I saw Sugar Cold play when I was 15. And like, he sort of <laughs> have that like seniority and be in there and be like, All right, guys, here's what's up. With Rivers, it was like, Oh shit, for the first time, he was in the room with someone who like he used to listen to when he was a teenager. Right, right. And right. he's like trying to be on equal footing and be professional. Meanwhile, he's like, What the hell is there? Yeah. These are right now. <laughs> like, it's, it's hard not to be a little bit starstruck. So he like fully did, you know, he did the, the, the thing where you like totally over prepare, you know, uh -huh. where he's like, here's what he's like, he sat around for two days, like coming up with like ideas that sort of reminded him of Weezer. And then he pretended he didn't have those ideas <laughs> yeah. and just showed up and the river's like, so do you want to jam? He's like, oh, I don't know, let's pick up the guitar. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, what if we did something like this? Like. You know, and 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 just and Rivers was like, dude, that's fucking awesome. You just came up with that right now. He's like, yeah, I don't know. You know he's like preparing, like staying up till five in the morning for like two days straight. You know, well, Rivers but, like this, dude. And and then the funny thing is, like, he wrote the song, and I remember him playing it for me. They demoed a song together, and like, it was so good. And I was like, dude, that's for sure gonna be on the. That's gonna for sure make the cut. And then it didn't. And I was like, dude, no way. Like, he's like, none of the songs we wrote together are gonna make their record. And he kind of given up on it. And then he calls me up. He's like, dude, I get this text from Rivers out of nowhere, like a year later, just going, you know, what's your information? He's like, um, okay. <laughs> you know, he's like, what's your contact info? What's your, what's your publishing name and all this other technical stuff. And he's like, why? What's up? He's like, oh, um, yeah, I took one part of the song we wrote together and I'm going to put it in this other song that I wrote. And he's like, Okay, cool. That song ended up being like the big single off that last Weezer record. I can't remember the the, the one that sounds like it sounds like Van Halen. Like it starts oh, out. Oh, like, uh, the, the end of the game. End of the game. Yeah. So the part of that song, the bridge of that song, was the chorus of the song Tim had wrote with written really with him, like, maybe two years earlier, and kind of he just like I think Rivers just like was trying to figure out like how to solve the song. Like, wow, we need a different thing here, and then he remembered that and happened to go back to it, so he grabbed it, threw it on there. Well, that's like a game changer for Tim, you know, like all sure. of a sudden, like a part of a co-writer on some song that became a big hit. So that is yeah. cool. That is so awesome. things like that happen. And honestly, it's like and I'm, I'm doing this other thing now where I um, I mean, I still do a lot of music related stuff. And, um, 
but mostly I've been like I've, teaching college, which is kind of a trip. I teach like music. Really? Yeah. And it's just something that's enabled that me to so not cool. have to be on the road all the time. Mm -hmm. And as much as I love touring, you know, I have a couple kids. Tim has a kid. Our drummer Kenny has a couple kids. Uh, our bass player Aaron has like a studio and he does stuff. But I think that, you know, all of us are you know, we always leave a light on for sugar cult. Like any of us would, would drop what we were doing and go do it like mm -hmm. right away. But, you know, not to throw Tim under the bus, but he's, he's the main reason, you know, because his, his producing takes so much out of him. Like I said, like he's, oh, I'm imagine, you know, yeah. he's working like 90 hours a week doing that shit. Like yeah. it makes it, it makes it seem easy when you hear just a catchy pop song that, you know, he, that he works on, on the radio but like that dude is probably the hardest working dude I've ever known in my life. Like he's probably a workaholic, you know what I mean? He, he <laughs> well, like easy to say that, Oh, you know, that's just an easy pop song to make it. It's like, well, if everybody could do yeah. that, wouldn't everybody be writing? That's like the hardest thing to ever do. Right. I know. <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, you think like, well, how many hits has he had? He's had that, you know, he's had a few hits, but then you're like, dude, for like 10 years straight, he's been working like 12 hours a day. You know what I mean? Yeah. And written thousands of songs and only like five of them have become hits, but there are huge <laughs> hits that have sold millions of things. And he's, you know, so right. it's like, it's one of those things where, I mean, that's really where his heart is. And, um, and like I said, you know, he has a kid, so he wants to be, you know, at least sleep in his own bed and be able to right, like take his kid to school. So the idea of doing more sugar cult, it's like we, when we talk about sugar cult, it's nothing but like laughs and smiles. It's never like, yeah, man, fuck that shit. Those you got, you know, like we didn't have like some like falling out. Like some bands have like it's. I always feel bad for bands like that where they have like the, like it brings up bad blood. You know, mm -hmm. with us, it's like nothing but like great memories and fun times. And like I said, we're super proud of all three records. But it's one of those things where it's just like we would just we would never just want to just do it for the sake of doing it or just mm -hmm. do it because like we need the money or do you know like i wouldn't want to do it for the wrong reasons because we're so lucky that we have this like legacy that is like it's cool like there's mm -hmm. nothing about sugar cult where you're like oh god right thinking? no not what at all thinking with that hairstyle <laughs> you know, sometimes they have that, like why did we why did we try to jump on the ska bandwagon for that one year? Or you know, like, right. we, we kind of stayed, we kept we kept our somehow by hook or leg. We we left it, we you know, we like lived fast and died young and left a pretty corpse. You know, like, right, right. it's dig Sugar Cult's legacy is somewhat dignified, and I kinda <laughs> like that. So because it's been so long now, we just kind of look like our attitude is just kind of like, look, dude, when and if we do something, it's gotta matter, it's gotta it's gotta count. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be, you know, um, and, I, and I do firmly believe that we have another great record in us. So it would be a shame not to make another record. It would be fun to make a record now, especially 20 years after our first record, mm -hmm. just to see what it would be like. But, you know, we'll see. We'll, well see. Yeah, Tim's you, move. <laughs> they do like a start static 20-year uh, show at, what's that place in Santa Barbara, the, the venue that's like outside of Isla Vista? It's like an all-age oh, venue. Dude, so everything's changed now. There's uh, like the Velvet Jones is gone. I can't um, remember what it's called. The place you're thinking of, the Mercury's gone. Oh, uh, I'm not thinking the, of the Mercury. Yeah, that just that just that didn't last through the pandemic, unfortunately. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh man. Place, but yeah, no, I, mean, I saw it in law there with like Denver Harbor or something, like in 2000. 
four no, you're or thinking, five. He must be or am thinking, I thinking of oh, a different venue? You're thinking of something different. You're thinking of a place that used to be called The Graduate, and then it was called The Anaconda, and I can't remember what else it was called. It's called Emerald City for a minute. Um, it's like uh, this. I don't. I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> yeah. like, anyway, there's been there's yeah. so many venues in Santa Barbara, but I think if we did another, you know, if we did something, it would you know it would be fun to do like a because we did the 10 year anniversary of Start Static. We you know got back together with our original drummer Ben and we did uh-huh. it, the whole record live and it was super yeah. fun. Um, you know, th- there is something to be said for the, like the the like victory lap factor where you're like, dude, it would be fun to go back and just do this the old stuff. But um, who knows? Who knows? But we don't we don't have any concrete plans, so I don't want to lead anybody on. But sure, well, that's know. cool. So you're but you're teaching business uh, music business. Yeah, I teach uh, teach music business and songwriting and artist development, and then um, I also like wow. go do DJ gigs a bunch. That's and, cool. Uh, actually, might be going. You know, once in a while, like I. I, you know, I still play guitar and, and, and make up songs and do stuff, you know, but, but as far as like having a full on band, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I would join, maybe join a band if, a, you know, if there was something really fun or maybe get together with some other people. We, you know, there's been people who are like, dude, why don't you guys just do Sugar Call with a different singer? And I'm like, no, I would never want to do that. Like yeah. Sh- Sugar Call has to have Tim. It's, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's, it's, it, his voice is the band, you know, to me. So, um, it's just one of those things. Luckily, you know, because our third record was cut short, we were almost all forced to go carve out other um, careers for ourselves. So like, I'm thankful that we don't have to do sugar cult just to like pay our bills. Right. Right. Because that's where you get bands that just dribble out like filler uninspired records just so they can have excuse to go, play shows and sell hoodies, you know, mm-hmm. and like no disrespect to, to bands that have to do that. But like, I would hate to have to do it. I right. want to, you know, I would only want to do it if we, you know, like I said earlier, it's like, it should come from a place of like the, the reward is just doing it in and of itself. And then the money and the radio and everything else that ha- might happen is icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would hate to like, feel like, Oh my God, we're out there. Like, you know, yeah, you we have to play. We're gonna, yeah. our kids Starve. are going to starve. You know? Right, right, right. So, Especially nowadays. I mean, with no one actually able to really tour. I know. God, I can't, I feel for those people. But, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier, it's like crazier things have happened, dude. Jawbreaker <laughs> got back together after 17 years of right. saying they would never, ever play together. Refused got back together after and a similar amount of time of mm-hmm. saying they would never ever play guns and, and roses did it. <laughs> guns and roses you could go see guns and roses like this week with axel and slash, <laughs> slash and, Duff, yeah. and they said they would never even like be in the same room again so like right and that was 20 years i think so it's like with us you know it's only been like 10 I, years yeah. you know what I mean? it's been too long right yes well, i mean you know and there was never like i said there was never a falling out it's, and so i look at it like i'm always hopeful i think like dude when and if we do it it would be pretty rad because like i don't know like jawbreaker got paid a million dollars to play riot fest wow two years earlier i went and saw their singer play a solo show like in the outskirts of like it was like Azusa or just some random place out like West Covina. It was like, someone told me about it. They're like, dude, I know this sounds crazy, but I just saw on Facebook that I think Blake from Jawbreak is going to play a solo show. And I was like, oh, I'm so there. I got to go. Cause I'm just a, a you know, fan sure. and a nerd. 
Well, he was in a bunch of bands that nobody really, I mean, I remember seeing him similar situation. He played this bar in San Diego called the, uh, called bar pink. And I'm like, this holds like 150 people. Oh, I love that place. That's (laughs) the place It's owned by a dude from rocket from the crypt. Yeah. Yeah. John Reed. It's in like North beach or something. North Park, yes. North yeah. Park, sorry, North yeah, Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, yeah, he played there, but it was, That's it was, so just, cool. but he didn't do like Jawbreaker songs, but it was still like a million dollars for him to play Jawbreaker songs. That's crazy, dude. A million dollars to play Riot Fest and play Jawbreaker, and then, and then from then on, they kept playing, and they, and they, I saw him. Me and Chris Shiflett, we went to the Hollywood Palladium. Um, they played three sold out shows. We went uh-huh. to two of them, and it was like we were doing the math. We're like, the tickets were forty bucks each. There's only three guys in the band. They don't have management. And each night there was 3,000 3, people there. 3,000 times 40 is, you know, we like calculated how much money they made. We're like, dude, okay, so that show I had seen two weeks or t- two years earlier where their singer was playing the acoustic show or the solo show. Uh-huh. I'm there at this shitty sports bar in like the middle of in some strip mall. <laughs> this like car pulls up. And I see these two elderly people get out. And then I see him get out of the back seat. It was his parents driving him to the show. He pops the trunk, pulls his guitar out of the back without even a case. It's just like lying on some like blankets in the back of the car. And I see this whole thing happening. I'm like, this is so crazy. This is like a guy who like people all over the world like think of as like, dude, Blake from Shawbreaker. Yeah. And his like parents, his elderly parents are there. And he comes out, he plays a show, and I, I went up and talked to him afterwards. I was like, what's the deal, dude? He's like, well, to be honest, man, I actually live in Brooklyn, but I got into some legal trouble, and I'm just playing the show because I don't have any money, and I need to get raise money to pay for my lawyer so that I could get back so that I could get back home, you know? Whoa. He was, like, broke <laughs> and, like, in legal pro- problems because someone told me he had graffitied on a cop car. <laughs> like, he got up, like... <laughs> Which is not hard to believe. You know? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. You're like this middle-aged dude and you're fucking graffitiing on cop cars still like that. Somehow that just makes me like you even more. <laughs> right. But anyway, and he, he's got his poor parents driving him to this show so he can pull out his little guitar and he's like sitting there with like reading glasses like and some music stand, like putting up little like cheat sheets with like songs and playing and we're like, you know, he didn't have a guitar stand. Like he would hand it to someone in the crowd when he needed to like take his jacket off or something. It was kind of, it was like kind of sad, endearing, sad, <laughs> totally fucking charming and awesome. And like, it was just so weird to see. That's so But crazy. then two years later, he's getting a million dollars to play a show. And it was like, you're like, yes, there's justice on earth for rock and roll. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, lo and behold, the old band that, that, you know, that he had let go of came back and probably saved his life, you know? Amazing. And all of their lives, you know, it's like, so I look at it like that, like, with rock and roll, it's kind of a cool thing because it's almost like a, an old guitar or an old car. It somehow just gets better with age mm-hmm. and like enough time goes by. It just, it just like gets mythologized and who knows if we, if sugar Cult comes back and plays shows, I suspect we'll be, you know, we might end up being, I'm jinxing it. I'm knocking on wood as I say this, but we might end up being bigger than we were in our heyday, which well, is weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, now so many people look back to bouncing off the walls and memory and it's just especially with like these emo nights coming up like there's just totally. whole like this whole like resurfacing of a lot of this music oh and it's, if yeah, you guys got back trip. together it would be you'd be a ride fest headliner 
I, I mean, be real. <laughs> I, I've gone in like I've DJed a bunch of those emo night types of things, and it's such a trip. I'm like, this is bigger than I remember it being. And then, like, you know, I, I remember, like, you know that dude, Black Bear? He's another one of these models. Uh-huh. Yeah, a huge guy, yeah. Yeah, I looked on his, like, on, I follow him on social media, and he posts this thing of his, like, you know, you could do, like, your top five all-time songs that you put on, like, you put it on a, a Spotify playlist. One uh-huh. of his was Bouncing Off the Walls. Oh, my gosh. So I hit him up on, like, Twitter or whatever. I was like, dude, thanks for doing that. He's like, dude, I, I was... You know, it was hard for me to decide which one, man. It was either bouncing off the walls or champagne or memory. And I'm like, that's so rad. Like, and it, constantly you get these like people from modern, you know, like Black Bear or like the dudes in uh, Sleeping with Sirens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they do from that dude, Vic from Pierce the Veil from uh-huh. your area. Yeah, San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. And like they, these people, even from genres that have like, they are not, you wouldn't think have anything to do with Sugar Call because they're way heavier or whatever. And they're like, dude, we used to love you guys back in the day. And like, you know, it's, it's such a, it's such a trip. That's the one like benefit to doing something 20 years ago is you get to see the like <laughs> kids that grew up listening to the, the, the kid from Sleeping with Sirens, the singer guy. He came up to me and he's like, dude, when, um, he's like, your start static was the first record. My mom let me buy with my own money. Like he was like 11 years old at like the mall or whatever. And like, you know, like, that's cool. I don't think he bought it with his own money, but it's the one like he like asked his mom to buy him on CD or whatever, you know? And you're like, that's so rad. I just saw him play this like sold out big raging show. And and then he tells me that story. It's, it's a really cool story. it's cool, but it also makes you feel really old. <laughs> but it's also it. like you feel like a proud parent. You're like, yes, awesome. <laughs> we, you know, we, uh, we, you know, we, we infected your young mind with our rock and roll demons, and now look at you. You're wow, a full-blown yeah. rock and roll star yourself. That's so, so cool. So <laughs> that's cool. a trip. So, anyways, but yeah, that's I hope so that cool. with this new 20-year anniversary kind of look that everyone's taking on and the record, I, I hope. My hope is that a bunch of people from back in the day will re- have a chance to, you know, like we did, have an ex- excuse to revisit it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if nothing else, it might conjure up some fun memories. Um, maybe you might get to know the record in a way that you that you weren't ready to get to know it last time. Maybe different things about it will be revealed. And then, you know, no disrespect to the old schoolers, my real hope is that, like, they're, you know, it's like people who weren't even born then might find out about that record and listen to it and be like, dude, this is sick, you know, mm-hmm. and tell their friends about it. Cause I mean, that's like what me and my friends did. We constantly like, you know, I spent way more time digging through, like digging through crates of old used records. And then like, you know, it was all about like finding some cool shit that your friends didn't know about and then turning them on to be like, dude, check out this shit from 30 years ago. You know? Right. Like, yeah. So, it wasn't like know. all the newer bands were the ones that you're really yeah, I mean, I was, so like, I was into new bands, but I, I also loved, like, you know, I loved the sort of, like, archaeological dig through, like, the corpse of the past. Sure, sure. Just like, dude, I heard about this band called the Stooges that everybody always talks about, and then you find yourself a copy of it, you put it on, and you're, like, almost afraid, and you're like, dude, this sounds <laughs> so crazy. And then you look at it, it was like, this came out in 1972, <laughs> right. and it sounds like music from the future right now, like, 100 years later, you know? Right. And um, so there's I think that's one of the cool things about rock music specifically is it, you know, it can like, you know, it can it can age well. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like mm-hmm. there's a time period where it's cool when it's it's like it's like a car. There's the time it's cool. And then there's the time it seems really old fashioned and out of style. And then a, a, gen- it comes a generation <laughs> suddenly becomes like, dude, I found this like 
you know, legit, amazing, like, you know, whatever, like 70s muscle car or like, right, right. even if you found an 80s like DeLorean and it was in really good condition, <laughs> you'd be like, Rah, dude, check out that guy's car. You know, but there was a time people would be like, they wouldn't be caught yeah, dead. Like, oh, things. have you seen that DeLorean? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, it's kind of a trip like with, with music. That's, you know, so I'm, yeah, I'm loving that this whole, there's because of like MGK and Mod Sun and, mm-hmm. um, even five seconds of summer and um, black bear. And just, it seems like there's this whole new generation um, of people that are kind of like seeing this music that, that came around the time start static came out the time all three of our records came out. Mm-hmm. It's like that era of music is being sort of reexamined now and, and given that extra look, which is so fun. I mean, not because we just, are going to make money from it, but it's just like, culturally speaking, you're like, dude, it's just rad to think that like we did think we did a thing. Yeah. You have made an impact on so and, many bands, especially. Yeah, as, and it's know. like come back around and you're seeing it kind of, you're seeing a new mutation of it now. And it's really, mm-hmm. that's really exciting. That, that, that makes so you want to cool. stick around and see what's next, you know? Sure. Sure. So, it's cool. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Marco, for doing this, man. This has been rad. I really appreciate it. Awesome, dude. I hope I hope you guys got what you needed. I know. I oh no! Cares off. No, I love yeah. that. That's the yeah. the whole point of this. No one cares what I have to say. Um, right on. I'm curious, real quick though, on you teach at what a local college or where? where I teach at a, a couple colleges in LA. I teach at a place called LA College of Music. Okay. And I also teach at a British college that has an LA campus called Point Blank Music School. And then I've also done, you know, a bunch of other stuff at different places like MI and, um, that's rad. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I kind of fell into it. Cause like I get invited to be like a guest speaker or whatever. And then, you know, it's just that old musician thing where people ask you to do something and you just are so used to going, yeah, okay. You know, it's right, the same right. attitude, right? Say yes. Sure. Like, so you want to go on tour with me? Sure. <laughs> you know, you know? And it's just like kind of just down for an adventure, down for a challenge. And more than anything, it's like, at first I was reluctant to try to do this kind of thing. So I certainly didn't feel qualified, but you know, you, um, but you should be because you've lived, you well, succeeded in what you're teaching. Right. Well, that, I, mean, I mean, see, that's what happened. Like, you know, once I started doing it, I kind of realized I was like, well, I think my, my special sauce is that I've actually done this shit mm-hmm. in real life. Whereas <laughs> most of the people teaching about it are people that never got to do it. Right. They right. Learned they about they it can't the do then teach. And I'm like, <laughs> right. there's a lot of people going, well, here's basically what it says in the book that someone else wrote that also didn't do it. So they wrote a book about it. <laughs> right, and I'm right. like, here's your book. <laughs> now let's talk about how you're going to pull this shit off because right. I've actually done this and I have tons of friends that have done it too. And I'll tell you one thing, they didn't go in through the front door. So if right. you think that it's just like, go to school, get a piece of paper and then go apply for jobs in the music business. I'm like, that's not how this industry works. I'm like, the best thing you could get out of this experience is if you meet each other, connect and collaborate with each other, like take advantage of the fact that you're all here and you're all like have one thing in common that you all want to be in the music world. Cause usually you're spread at spread out. Like we, in our hometown, you have to like find that kid at that school. You know, it wasn't like there wasn't enough kids in any one corner of town that wanted to do this shit. So you had to sort of create your own, construct your own little universe and then stitch it together. And there wasn't even enough kids in our town. We had to like talk to kids in LA and talk to kids in San Diego and talk mm-hmm. to kids in San Francisco and sort of make this like weird little underground railroad of like, you know, like-minded people. And I'm like, here you are at a place where you can actually like get a, get a degree, 
connect with people, use all this rad equipment, and then talk to jackasses like me and get advice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like take advantage of it. So I basically just kind of give them this whole like attitude adjustment. And, um, and then, you know, it's weird. Cause at first I thought, Oh dude, they're, they're going to be like calling security and escorting me out of here. <laughs> and instead I got like really good reviews and they were stoked and they're like, dude, would you do it again? Would you teach another class? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, that's cool. So, so it's kind of just what I'm doing now. And you know, I've never, um, you know, I've never been so dramatic and, you know, to say like, oh, I found what I'm going to do forever. You know, it's like to me, it's all from the same source, whether you're playing a show, you know, DJing a party or lecturing to pe to a classroom or doing a podcast like that, you know, anything. It's all the same source. It's just connection with people, mm -hmm. making a connection, you know, express taking something that's inside of you and getting it outside of you, expressing and um, it's just in different forms, whether it's mm -hmm. whether it's bouncing off the walls or emo night DJ set or uh, teaching at college. It's it's, it's the, the same muscle groups, you know. Yeah, I love that. And it's I have cool. one more question for you, Marco, before I let you go. I want to yeah. know if you yeah you've been giving amazing advice throughout this entire thing, but I wanted to see if you had any advice to aspiring artists. Hmm. Um. <laughs> it's funny because I've, I've like written like long things about this stuff. It's hard to just like put it in a nutshell. Um, advice to an aspiring artist, DM me on Instagram and I will send you a link to my music business mindset tips. How about that? <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. People and I do get back to pretty much anybody who like hits me up. Like you can hit me up on Instagram, just my name, Marco DeSantis. Um, or you go to Sugar Cult's website, sugarcult.com, and it links to my Instagram because the band doesn't have an official Instagram yet. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm also on like Cameo, which is kind of cheesy. But, oh, that's like, awesome. I'm doing that shit too. And lots of times people hit me up there and they're like, dude, listen to my song and give me a review. And I'm like, okay, you know, like whatever. So, <laughs> tell my girlfriend happy birthday. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, so um, that's, I mean, you might, I mean, in all seriousness, yeah, definitely hit me up if you, if you need advice, if you're an artist, but I mean, honestly, if you're an aspiring artist, you don't need to hear what I have to tell you to, you know, you need to create your own situation, you know? Um, and that's, I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people make the mistake of comparing themselves to you know, if you're a brand new band, you don't need to compare yourself to some dude who's already sold a million records and had hit songs on the radio. You need to compare yourself to the other band in your practice space first and go, are we working just as hard as them? What about the other band that's playing in, uh, you know, at the party that you're playing? Are they, is, is, is your gear as good as their gear? You know, how's your song, how's your songwriting? How's their, you know, how, what about your, in your organization as an artist, like, are, are you get, are you sleeping until fucking noon and taking bong rips all day? Or are you actually like treating your band? Like, uh, are you taking it seriously? Are you, do you like have a schedule, you know? Uh, cause, cause on the outside, it looks like it's just a big nonstop rock and roll party. But on the inside, most of these people are fucking driven. Like most people I've known that have become successful in music. They're a good time. They're a riot to party with, but I mean, when you see Scott Russo out in public, he's the life of the party. 
-hmm. when you don't see Scott Russo, he's sitting around with his acoustic guitar recording, making up songs and then making phone calls and ex exchanging emails with people and organizing shit and lining and hustling and lining up different people to co-write with and getting, setting up sessions in the studio. You know, people, no matter how wild they might look, these guys are like, these they are pretty business. They're pretty business most of the time, you know? Um, so like, just, I guess the, what I'm trying to say is like, don't mistake it for just this like, you know, playground to just be irresponsible and just fuck off all the time and just hope that it all magically works out. Like nothing ever just magically works out. <laughs> you gotta go out and make your own luck, you know? So there's a, um, you know, there's, I think having like, having a, having discipline and structure is really important. Like that was one thing Sugar Cult did that most of the other bands I played in growing up didn't really do is we had this like crazy work ethic where it was like, practice is on Tuesday. And this is before we became famous. This is like before start static. It was like practice. We didn't have a manager. We didn't have an A&R person. We had anyone telling us this. This was just Ben, Tim, Aaron, and me. And it was like practice was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Tuesdays, it went from six to 11. Wednesdays, it was all day long, starting at 10 a.m. Don't be late, you know? And then after the practice, we're gonna go somewhere. We're either gonna go out to a club and just flirt with girls and have them want to like our band or go see our bros band play or go do or just go have some drinks and hang out with each other not with our instruments on and then thursday practice i can't remember what time practice was on thursday i think it was like maybe like 10 to um and it was like a half day it wasn't quite as long as the wednesday one and that was it every week like that was our practice and if we and then we had shows also on other days you know, and so it was like work schedules built around that, school schedules built around that, whatever we were all doing individually was built around that. And, and it was like kind of non-negotiable. And it was like, well, what do we don't have anything to do? Okay, so let's just run the set a bunch of times or let's work on a new song or let's um, go make flyers for the show that we have coming up. Like it was just kind of like clocking in and doing, going to work, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important for, for bands because if you just do it whenever you feel like, like I know a lot of bands, you know, college students that I, that I might have as students where they're like, yeah, we have a show coming up. So we're rehearsing. I'm like, you shouldn't only rehearse when you have a show coming up. You should rehearse as a lifestyle. It should just be like part of your life. Like, you know, people that do stuff, like they say, writers, write. You know, like if you, um, I think if you want to get good at something, it's important to do it on a regular basis rather than doing it like as like a special occasion. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be like, I think you get a lot better at guitar if you play guitar for five minutes a day than if you play guitar for five hours once a month, you know? So. I love all that. That's that. It, yeah, that's great advice. Thank you so much, Marco. I really appreciate it. You're like, oh, I'm sorry I asked, bro. I was looking for like a cute little quick answer. No, 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 no. That was even that <laughs> Don't was the best up answer. Don't your dreams, bro. No, like, that was go. the best answer. Honestly, I've done <laughs> well over 800 interviews like this. And that was the most like real advice I've heard yet, to be honest. Oh, thank you. Thanks a lot. For sure. Like, I love the, no one's ever said, yeah, maybe it looks like, you know, these guys are just fucking around, but that's no, they, they're driven as hell. Like you can't just show up and expect something to happen.
Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, you got to make your own luck. You got to go out and kill your own prey. You know, it's super important. And I think that's probably one of the, you know, when I think back, like, I think of like in my hometown, I think of like the bands that went somewhere versus the bands that are like, you know, they still just kind of do it after work a couple times a week or like on the weekends and just kind of do it as a hobby, which is fine too. You know, not everybody has to be a professional musician. Music's fun in and of itself. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right, right. But like, yeah, it's like a lot of people just love cooking. That doesn't mean they have to start a restaurant. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah, totally. you don't have to be a professional musician. Um, as a matter of fact, it's funny. My friend, uh, my friend, Matt, who I think he might've, I don't think he's from San Diego, but I think he lived down there because I think he worked on the, with, with those guys in that band Switchfoot a long time ago. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, like he worked on their early records. This guy Matt Beckley, great dude, and he told me one time he's like, I mean, this guy's played with everybody, and like he's you know best friends with a dude in Maroon Five, and he like oh, used wow. to be in Katy Perry's band as her guitar player and all this shit. And he's like, dude, the the best musician I know is my dentist. Really? Like, he's, you gotta be shitting me like you're friends with that long-haired dude in maroon five who's like a crazy guitar player and you're friends with katie perry who's like fucking a beast yeah. you know she can sing like um he's like Anything. yeah this guy has a band they practice like every other weekend and they play one show a year in like their backyard of his huge house wherever he lives you know <laughs> by his pool you know <laughs> right it's like he's literally the best drummer i've ever fucking seen and he just does it for fun you know that's cool that's crazy. So yeah, it's like you can be, you can do it. It doesn't, you know, everyone doesn't have to be a professional. Sure. But yeah, if you want to be a professional, then you, um, then you probably should treat it like a business. Because again, if you were, if you love to cook, then fucking cook. But if you love to cook so much that you want to start a restaurant, then you probably need to be open at twelve. If you say you're going to be open at twelve, because if people show up at twelve for lunch and it sees always says closed, people are eventually going to be like. Yeah, it's gonna go somewhere else, dude. I'm sure that place is great, but I don't know. They're always closed when I walk by. You right. know, so you have to treat it like, you know. And I'm sure you need to like. There's a bunch of, you know, rules you got to follow if you're gonna have a restaurant. You know, maybe with being in a rock and roll band, there's not as many rules. You probably want to make sure your guitar's in tune. You know, but like you good, show up to the gig on time. You know, there's not. It's a pretty loose structure. You know, but it's a pretty loose gig. But even within that don't mistake it for meaning that you can just fuck off and everything's magically going to happen. You still have to like make it happen.